Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, The big news, I guess, right now is next week we are going to be opened up outdoors. Uh, Ben came by this morning with the new canopy and we set it up. Uh, It was like wrestling a 20-foot octopus there for a while. It was a a little adventure. Um, And with that, if you would like to come and help set up, Ben, what time are you going to get here next week? At 9 o'clock, if you want to come and help set up with the canopy, come at 9 o'clock. I know Brent's going to be here and Ben, but if you want to come help set up chairs or something like that, come and Ben will kind of guide you in what needs to be done at that point and definitely can use a couple of hands with that thing. Um, it, it's, it's a beast, but it looks good out there. Um, we're kind of measuring the shade right now. Uh, where it's at and where it's going to be so that everyone can be in the shade who wants to be here and be outdoors. But I think it's a big enough space for uh, a good number of people to be here. And we'll try and seat you guys in groups. If you're with family, you sit together and we'll space you accordingly. So next Sunday, 10 a.m., hope you guys will make it. Now, some of you right now are probably either in bed watching TV or on the couch in your pajamas. And I know it's an adjustment to go from where you're at, enjoying your cup of coffee on the sofa in your slippers to being here. But I hope you will push through the discomfort, get dressed, get showered, and join us here next week, if at all possible. And again, Uh, We are going to do what we can to make sure that everybody is safe and feels safe. So uh, throw that out to you. Again, thank you all for continuing to support us and the things that we're doing here through your tithes and offerings. Uh, The ways are available uh, through Venmo, through Zelle, uh, the um, mailing address. There they go up on the screen. All those things, <laughs> we got a new switching system too. So the guys, I thought I'd throw that just to see if the guys could figure it out. Um, and they did. So those are the ways that you can continue to be a part of Genesis in that support. And so hopefully you will. Um, excited about seeing some of you next week. And I hope we can have a time where we are out together either before or even after our gathering uh, to maybe pray together, talk about some of the things happening in your life and just connect and reconnect. I hope that you, though, will stay connected with the people who are in your circle 
that you're comfortable with and don't be disconnected. Make the effort, make the phone call, send the text, go and visit the family or whoever you feel comfortable being with. Uh, Don't be alone. It's important. It's not good that man be alone. So this morning we are continuing our series on desire. Last week we talked about why what we want matters. And what I want to do this morning is get to the heart of things. I want to talk to you about Spock from Star Trek, Gravity, A Tale of Two Disciples, and Atomic Glue. Okay. Within the Grace and Truth Matrix, just a little review for those of you who might be tuning in for the first time, we we spent a a few weeks talking about this matrix of grace and truth and the different quadrants that people can live in, how there is a call-out culture that is high truth, low grace, and this is where people just want to Uh, tell you what's right. You know, the Bible says, and they'll shoot you with a few scriptures to tell you why what you're doing is wrong and what you need to do. And it's really all about the truth and there's not a whole lot of grace. And then you go to the other extreme where there's a hangout culture and this is high level of grace and they're just dancing around the truth. We don't wanna press into the difficult uh, dialogue about what's happening in your life because that gets a little messy. Let's all just be friends. Let's all just go to church, bro, and we'll hang out, right? And then there is the checkout, which usually happens after you get tired of hanging out and tired of calling out or being called out. You just check out and say, you know, I can't do this anymore. It's just too exhausting to pretend everything's okay. It's too exhausting to try and be perfect, so I quit. And a lot of people have experienced one or all three of these, and we saw that Jesus is actually high level of grace, high level of truth. He is calling us in that grace is not just about forgiveness. Grace is about journeying with. It is about life that is in partnership with God. So it is more than just, oh, you're forgiven, and that's the end of the story. It is, I will walk with you through your story, and I will deal with the messiness of your life. And we call that a call-in culture. And we've double-clicked on this call-in, and this is where we are at right? We are living in this, and it's important that that's understood, because if we start dealing with the wants and desires we have that are in any of the other cultures, it becomes unsafe. But in this call-in culture, it is not only safe, it is necessary. And we've seen that this word desire, right, um, it has a lot of thoughts to it, um, what it can be. It, it, and it's important that we understand these things, right? Um, we have to find a way to align ourselves between what we say and what we do and what we want. They are connected. And if we don't keep them connected, then we are missing out. So they're all connected to one another because they're all a part of who we are. 
And it's important that we keep that integrity. To bring these into alignment, there has to be an awakening of what we want since most of these things that we see in discipleship today take place with the words. The words are the things we say, what we believe. Uh, You can call words doctrine. Uh, The things that we believe are right. You can call words our head, living in our head. And the idea of works can be our deeds or it could be our habits, right? And then the idea of wants can be also our desires or our hearts, right? So we have words, works, wants. We have the D or doctrines, uh, deeds, desires. And then we have head, habits, heart. I've got a million of them. Actually, I'd only have 26 because that's how many letters. But just to give you an idea, that's what we're encompassing here is this totality of who we are. And this is what love in this call-in quadrant looks like. Now, again, desire is a loaded word, right? Desire is loaded because it could lean in so many directions depending on what the person desires, what their motives are, and what their circumstances are. And oftentimes we have these different postures towards desire. Some people have this kind of apathetic posture towards desire. It's very stoic. It's, I am not going to be driven by my desires. It's kind of like Spock, right, in Star Trek, where, you know, he's just all about reason, and it's not logical, and that kind of thing. And so some people try to just kind of suppress the idea of desires. It's not what matters. I'm just going to put that to the side. I'm going to be apathetic towards that. But if you remember in Star Trek, those of you who are Trekkies, and are you the original Trekkies or the new generation or a next generation? But what made Spock so interesting was not his Vulcan lack of desire, but was the integration of the desire because that's what made him shine, in in a sense. And it's the same thing with us. Another posture towards desire is one that wants to eliminate desire. And this happens in a lot of religious circles. Um, The elimination of desire. It it can be in a a Buddhist mentality where desire is connected to suffering, Right, And if we can eliminate the desiring, we can eliminate the suffering. We limit the desire for things, and we limit the effect that those things have on our lives. Or even in some Christian sects, or even in Muslim sects, where desire is seen as the the leading into sin. And so what we have to do is eliminate our desire, because desire is connected to lust, it's connected to bad things. And so we try and squash it so it's not a part of our lives, eliminate it so we don't have suffering. And then there is the people who just indulge, a hedonistic attitude, right? Where pleasure is the pursuit at all costs. All these things are ways that people try to deal with this desire because this is like a wild animal that if we don't recognize it and we don't understand how to deal with it, it becomes out of control. And so these are ways that people try to take control. But we're seeking to integrate desire into our whole life, right, where The idea of you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
right? Your heart, soul, this is your mind, or your mind is your, sorry, with all your mind, your strength, and your heart and soul, right? It, it, it's to love God with all of who you are. That, that's what Deuteronomy was leading to, and that's what Jesus brings the fine point to, is this kind of understanding that this keeps us from being double-minded, unstable in our, all our ways. Like, well, I, I think this, I act like this, but I want this. It, it also helps us to not lose heart, though outwardly we are perishing, inwardly we are being renewed day by day, Paul would say. We're trying to be whole. We are trying to make peace between our mind, our body, and our heart. And this is part of the discipleship process. This is part of being transformed into his image. It is allowing all these pieces to fit together. It has to address our attachment to our relationship, to our desires. And so what we start to see is that Jesus understood this. And he understood peace. It's why the greatest commandment was given to love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's saying that love must permeate our desires, our thoughts, and our actions. The greatest commandment is the greatest because when love is at the center of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are one with God and one with others. And so... This is really bringing a a centrality to the love of God, which is taking place in this call and culture. And the centrality is drawing all of who we are to itself, like gravity just pulling it in so that it doesn't leave this call-in segment. We are now living in the love of God, and it is occupying how we think, how we act, and the things that we desire. Remember, this is all taking place in this call in culture. And what happens is when we are drawn into the central part of this, God is love and God is holy. And so a lot of times what we want is holiness, right? Holiness is something that we think, oh man, I want to be holy, I want to be good before the eyes of God, but for holiness to take place, holiness with the H, we need wholeness. Holiness cannot take place unless there is wholeness in our lives. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to be holy if we are not whole. It's impossible for us to connect to God if we don't do it here in who God is and here in who we are. And so that's kind of a a review of all the things that I've talked about in the last few weeks. And I left you with some questions last week. What is your experience of discipleship mainly been? Talked about what excites you about this model and what brings clarity or conviction? And what is concerning about this model? something that maybe brings conflict or confusion. And I hope that you've leaned into those questions over this week because I want you to wrestle with these things. I want you to see how you fit in the circle and maybe move into what it is you desire. And this morning I want to sit with a passage of Scripture and lean into Jesus' interaction 
with two of disciples. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 21. John 13, 21 says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he would give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night, or it was dark. That's kind of the idea here. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Here we have a tale of two disciples. We have Jesus dealing with Judas and Jesus dealing with Peter. It's important to note that both Judas and Peter denied Jesus. And it's important to look at how Jesus in this moment leans into both of them. And we're gonna try and focus on how he relates to them. And so I want us to use our imagination a little bit to understand that he's saying some things, but what is behind his words and what is he trying to convey, not only to them, but maybe to us, right? Judas is going to betray Jesus and Jesus knows it. It says so in the story, he, he dips the bread, he gives it to him. Everyone is a little you know, confused about what's happening. They're talking amongst themselves. They, they don't pick up on the cues that Jesus is laying down. But Jesus knows what's going to happen with Judas. But what does Jesus do? 
He doesn't ignore it and pretend it's not going to happen, right? He, he doesn't just like, ah, well, it's okay, everyone, let's have a good time, right? Which would be kind of a hangout culture. And, and he doesn't try to tell G- Judas, stop it, right? Don't do this. I know what you're going to do. You better stop it. How many of you, you are parents and like me tried to preemptively strike at what our kids were going to do. It's like, okay, I know we're going to be gone for the weekend. Do not have a party, right? Do not. I'm going to have, you know, Nana swing by when you least expect it. You know, we would throw all these warnings out to them, try and prevent them from doing something. Jesus isn't doing that with Judas. He's not saying, hey, man, don't do this. This is the wrong thing. You know, it's not worth 30 pieces of silver. I'll, I'll pay you 35. I mean, he's not trying to change things. How would you describe his posture towards it? It, it seems as if he's accepting what Judas is going to do. He's accepting what he wants to do. He's accepting his desire. He says, what you're going to do, do quickly. I I know what you're going to do, so you can go ahead and do it. Which I wonder why he would need to say that, why he would want to say that to Judas. He's laying it on the table. He's not ignoring it. He's confronting Judas with what's going to happen. He names it, brings it out open, and it seems like he's empowering him to do it. Do it quickly. What you want, do it. Why would he empower Judas in this way? And then we move down to Peter. And Peter has a different attitude, right? Peter's words are saying one thing. I'm going to lay down my life for you, right? Peter's here right now. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to be this, Jesus. I'm going to do this. And Jesus brings out the want that is really there, which is going to be self-preservation. When the persecution comes, Peter's going to shrink. The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Again, Jesus isn't ignoring what is happening within either of them. But he wants them both to own it. Judas, you're going to deny me. Go ahead, deny me quickly. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. That's how it's going to be. He is telling them what is in them. And for both of them, it really is similar. It has to do with denying Jesus in the various ways. I have found that sometimes the hardest thing to do is to actually own the desires that are in me. I was talking with Ben this morning when we were setting things up and we were talking just about addiction and things uh, related to that. And I believe it was Robert Downey Jr. who said that stopping from doing something, stopping an addiction is not what's difficult. It's stopping your want to do it. Right? 
it's stopping drinking isn't hard. It's not wanting to do the drink. People get clean all the time. They go to prison, they get clean. They run out of money, they get clean. They have to, they don't have that. It's when they have the freedom, it's when they have the money that they are able to do what they want. And so the hardest thing to, to deal with is what we want. And we don't deal with it at all if we ignore it. And we don't deal with it at all if we try to eliminate it. And we don't deal with it at all if we just give ourselves wholly to it. The first step is naming what we want. And Jesus gives both Judas and Peter the first thing they need, and it's the truth of what they want to do. Two disciples, two denials, and Jesus names them. What a powerful example for us to understand when we are communicating with people, when we are trying to engage people who are struggling in various areas of their lives. I I remember uh, one friend who had, um, had an affair and cheated on his wife and I was talking with him, and, and the first thing I asked him was, what do you want to do? Right? I could have went to the Bible, and I could have told him you know, that this is wrong, committing adultery is wrong, and I could have given him you know, the, you need to do these things, and you need to you know, stop seeing this person, and you need to stop entertaining these thoughts. And I could have lived here in this idea of, you know, this is what's wrong and this is why it's wrong. But the first thing I had to deal with is what do you want? You see, because if he still wants to go out with this person, if he still wants a relationship with this person, then what I tell him and what I tell him to do is going to have no effect on what he actually does. And unless someone is willing to deal with the want, you're not going to see change unless I am willing to deal with the want. I'm not going to see change. And sometimes it's not that the want is bad, right? It's not that desires are always bad. Sometimes the the desires are good, they're healthy, but we're just not allowing them the place in our lives, and so there's frustration because of that. First step is naming it. And what Jesus is doing too, between both Judas and Peter's story that are going to deny and betray him, Jesus empowers Judas and Peter to name own their desires, and then he gives them a new commandment. Right? In between Judas's story and Peter's story. And I love how. He writes, you know, and it was dark. It was night. It's, it's painting a picture that, man, this is a dark place when he owned what he wanted and it wasn't good. Or when he was, what was in him was revealed and it wasn't good, but maybe he didn't really own it. 
And in between this story of Judas and this story of Peter, Jesus gives this glue that is meant to draw them together. You know, there's a lot of things that are mysterious in science that we don't fully understand. And one of them is how particles stay together, how you have electrons and protons and neutrons, and they're all, you know, kind of circling this nucleus of the atom, and they don't separate on their own. Now, we can cause separation. That's not a good thing. Those are usually bombs, right? But why are they together? Why do you have positive and negative protons all circling so close together in this tiny particle? And they've called it Mason. It's atomic glue. There's even companies called Glue-X that are finding out how to deal with hybrids of this meson, what it is that's holding things together. And you see, the thing that's holding all of this together is what Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, the, the scripture said that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving people isn't new, but loving as I have loved you is again bringing us into this call in place. This is where God is. This is the nucleus of where God lives and where we are to live with him. And he is calling us into that center. It's what's connecting us. It's calling us to this place of holiness and calling us to this place of wholeness. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? Why did they have such different paths? believe it had to do with them dealing with what they wanted and how they dealt with it. There's another story that I want to take you to in Mark chapter 10. Verse 17. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. How does Jesus engage him? He tells him what he already knows and what he already knows what he should do. You know the commandments. Keep the commandments. The guy says, oh, I've been doing all this. And Jesus loves him, sees him, and sees something. Remember, this is the waterline of perception here. Jesus goes underneath 
that perception and deals with what he wants. One thing you lack. You see, what you really want is your wealth. And this is what's keeping these things from being in harmony with who you are. This is stopping you from this, which is keeping you from this. Now, what a strange thing. I mean, you would think if someone came up to you with this kind of qualifications, you know, here's a person, you know, it's not like he's bad just because he has money, right? Jesus' ministry was sponsored by wealthy people, sponsored by a wealthy woman named Joanna in Luke 8, I believe it is, right? So, I mean, Jesus wasn't opposed to people with wealth. In fact, he could have said, hey, yeah, we could use you. You know, yeah, join our church, right? You're, you're well-to-do, that's great. And bring him in and, and hey, you know, yeah, we're gonna go and rent a room and hey, rich young ruler, pick up the bill, right? I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't call on this guy and use this guy and he didn't tell this guy what he wanted was wrong. He just named it, put his finger on it and says this, this is the thing. This is what you want, and you're not dealing with it. And so Jesus put the want on the table. He got to the heart of what was going on in this man, and the man would not face it. He couldn't deal with it because it was too close to home. This is very much binding and loosing, right? It's connecting to who we are and letting go of the things that are unimportant. It's connecting to who God is and what God wants and connecting those things to who we are and what we want. And this is, I think, the difference between Judas and Peter is that when Jesus laid on the table what they really wanted. Judas could not face it, could not deal with it, and ended up taking his life. Peter was confronted with it and had to own it. Remember the restoration of Peter. Jesus goes up to him after they're fishing, and Jesus says, hey, have you caught anything? And they said, no, we haven't caught anything. And he says, oh, you know, try it out on the other side of the boat. And they do it and they catch a fish. And then John says, it's Jesus. Peter dives in the water, swims to shore. There's Jesus with some fish and, and cooking and starts talking to them. And three times he tells Peter, asks Peter, do you love me? And even in your margins there on the Bible, it'll say the restoration of Peter. Why? Because why does Jesus have to ask him three times? Well, you know, three times you denied me. Three times I'm going to ask this question. He asked him three times, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I am fond of you. Lord, you know I care for you. And he is grieved that he asked him the third time. Peter, will you give everything for me? And Peter says, Lord, you know how I care about you. And Jesus doesn't say, well, you need to care about me more. You need to love me more. You need to not do this again. 
Jesus says to Peter, Peter, love me where you are and I will take you to where you need to be. You see, the difference between Judas and Peter is Peter was met where he really was, owned where he really was, and was able to move from this place of who he really was to a place of God wanting him to become something more. And that's what needs to happen with us. We need to own who we really are. And it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. For us to become more, we have to, first of all, see who we really are. And it isn't until Peter comes face to face with his wants, with his desires. You know, Peter, what you really wanted to do was deny me to save your own life. What you really wanted to do was preserve yourself. Oh, you said here you would lay down your life, but when it came to it, you wanted to preserve your own life. And you know what? That's where I will meet you. That's where in this context of calling, you will not be condemned. You will not be shunned. You will not be pushed away. You will not be ignored. You will not be catered to. You will be acknowledged, seen, and journeyed with. That is good news. That is what gospel is. That God journeys with us in this call in with the things we think, the things we do, and the things we want. And the difference between a Judas or a Peter has to do with them accepting or not what it is they really want. Some people are plagued with guilt because they can't own what it is they really desire. They don't want to go there. And maybe you've got some messed up things, right, that you're desiring. Maybe there's some things that are pretty dark. And in your own way, in your own desires, you're wanting to deny Jesus. The good news to you is, here's an example who someone who did that and brought restoration, but it didn't happen until... He owned it three times. Hey, do you love me? No, really, do you love me? Do you love me? And finally, Peter says, you know all things. And then Jesus doesn't say, well, it's not enough. He says, where you are is where I will work. And I believe God is telling us, do you love me? And we're saying, oh, man, yeah, I love you, God. I'll do everything for you. No, but you know what? I really just want to stay in bed. I really just want to buy that whatever. I really just want, and maybe it's even some good things that are just out of sorts. Do you love me? Well, God, here's where I really am. And maybe I don't know if it's love like it should be. Maybe I don't know if it's commitment the way it should be. Maybe I'm not sure what to call it. You know, I'm kind of apathetic. I'm kind of uh, teetering between these things. I'm kind of questioning my faith. I'm wondering, God, even sometimes if you're real. And I'm afraid to admit that to anybody 
And Jesus would say, I'm cool with that. I'll meet you there. Because if this doesn't happen, we can't get to this. God's not afraid of your doubts. God's not afraid of your questions. God's not afraid of our insecurities. God is not pushing us away because we have those things. God is leaning into us and owning them and naming them so that we can recognize them and allow them to be a part of this journey, this calling. And this is what he did with Judas. This is what he did with Peter. This is what he did with the ruler who had money. He called them in. He wanted them to own what it is they desired because that's where he wanted to meet them because he can't meet them if it's just surface. And so he's wanting to get deeper. And so I believe the Lord would be asking us the same thing. What do you want? What do you desire? What are you wanting to do? You're free to do it, but will you own it? Because I want to meet you there. Will we allow that to happen? And maybe even this morning, as I'm sharing these stories, something is speaking out to you, and you're thinking about areas of your life that maybe you're feeling guilty about, maybe areas of your life that um, you're afraid to admit to somebody because of how you will be seen. And so you're living in this facade of Christianity because you think, well, if people know how I feel about these things or believe about these things or my doubts about these things, they, they won't accept me. It's The truth is you aren't you without those things. And God can only accept you with those things. And we, if we are to love even as Jesus did, this new commandment to love one another as he has loved us, then that is the only way we can love you as well. And so my words are to encourage you to step in, to own where you really are and not be afraid to journey with God the totality of who you are so that your wholeness can lead to holiness as you journey with him and are set apart for his purposes. Let's pray. Lord, it is a difficult thing to be honest even with ourselves sometimes and admit what it is we want when we have been living in a facade of just words and works, when it's all about our head and it's all about our habits, God. We, we, we want to keep buried the things that we really desire. And Lord, you are always trying to get to the heart, even as you did with Judas, even as you did with Peter, you are trying to do with us. Where you are telling us what's really going on, where you are asking us, what do you really want? 
Lord, may we own that. May we see the importance of living in recognition with what we want. Even if it's not flattering. Even if it looks like denial. Lord, what you are desiring in this place is to call us in to the center of your love where we can see you and we can fully be seen. And so I I pray that this good news finds all those who are hearing it this morning or later on. I, I pray that the good news of acceptance and restoration will find us and allow your work to begin to change us what ways need to be changed. And the condemnation, the guilt, the the bearing, the covering, the hiding can end and the freedom can begin. Lord, you've called us to freedom. Let's not yoke ourselves in bondage again when you have set us free. Thank you again for your Spirit's work in our hearts. May it move us to be closer to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hope to see you guys next week. And if you would like to help, we could use some help. Come at nine o'clock to help set up. I don't know how many people are gonna make it out. And again, if you are uncomfortable, please stay at home, feel safe. But if you would like to be here, uh, we are here for you and are gonna be open outdoors Uh, We will have minimal spacing inside. Um, Majority is going to be outdoors. But hope to see you guys. And between now and then, may you understand that there is no condemnation for those who are called in Christ. That God has extended himself to you. May you walk in wholeness and grow in holiness. God bless you guys. Love you. Hope to see you soon. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.